This is Cultivate a Good Life, episode 138, Six Ways to Connect with Your Team. I'm Becky Higgins, and with me is my friend and co-host, Becky Proudfit. Well, hello. And also our friend, Heidi Stanger. Hello. You may remember Heidi. She recorded an episode with us about parenting children with ADHD. Yep. Was quite lovely. I've just been looking for the right topic to have her come back. Always looking for an excuse to have Heidi in our presence. Heidi's delightful. Hey, if you guys listened to that episode recently with Wendy Howe, and toward the end, she got really distracted by some smoking hot girl that walked in the room. That was, in fact, Heidi Stanger. Miss Heidi Stanger. <laughs> yeah. She I is, in fact, very attractive. She is very attractive. She's a delight to <laughs> behold. That's very kind of you, ladies. Thank you. Very attractive, Let's Heidi. make her as uncomfortable as possible, shall we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just want to be clear that Heidi and I aren't sure what we're doing here today. Truth. <laughs> Incorrect. You both <laughs> like to be exaggerators. Listen, you both know what we're talking we about. We have teenagers. We do. Yeah. Definitely excited to hear all the thoughts that and the research and all the things that Becky is bringing to the table today. Um, but Heidi and I are feeling less prepared and more excited to just see what we're going to learn today. Oh. I think is that a... Is yeah. that an accurate feeling? Yeah, and what's going to come out. And cause... what is going to come out. Those are the best episodes because sometimes... Like even, you know, and you can probably relate to this. You over-prepare content, you over-study, oh, over-write, over all that. the things. Mm-hmm. But the very best things happen, in my opinion, just through organic conversation. Oh, yeah. And even, you know, in my life, really with you and with Heidi, some of the most profound like moments of community and understanding I have felt is just by like this information sharing kind of forum, which is why I want, why I wanted Heidi to be here because we have talked about, um, this concept of connecting with teens in our own lives with our own teens. And it's kind of been a topic of conversation in our life Mm -hmm. lately. So Mm -hmm. I thought it'd be great to bring it to the podcast. I love it. I love it. And Are you ready? Listening is gonna feel like they're gonna want to chime in as well. I wish everyone could just be here. Well, do me a favor and yeah. totally chime in. Like DM, reach mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. to me or to Becky, or comment on the posts that are about this. Particular exactly, episode. comment. That's I, our favorite. I love it. I definitely want to hear your thoughts and insights, and we can even do a little social follow up if there's additional mm-hmm. tips and tricks you all have for us. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's get to it. But let's first hear a quick word from this week's sponsor. You're listening to this podcast because you believe in progressing as a person and making continual learning a way of life. That is why you're our people. Mm -hmm. Aside from these weekly episodes, we want to be sure that you know about one of the best resources in your personal quest to cultivate a good life that will guide you in actually literally being the author of your own story. The BH Classroom has been a valuable resource for thousands of students around the world for several years and now... These courses have become even more accessible to even more people, including you. Our courses are now offered in much smaller, much more palatable mini courses, which also means much more affordable prices. 
The feedback we're getting on this shift has been remarkable and quite exciting. It's one thing to enjoy the content. It's another to take action. And that's what we're hearing on repeat right now. We're hearing about the epiphanies and the action taken and the success stories. We invite you to have experiences like this. Start today. Start with Documenting 101, which is just 45 minutes, shorter than an episode of your favorite Netflix series. And you too will feel personally empowered in your own documenting. Whether you're seasoned or just getting started, you can trust us to guide you along. Learn more at classroom.beckyhiggins.com. I'm so excited to be inspired. Ready, set, go. Ready, set, go. (laughs) I think we're all going to inspire each other, but kind of how this episode came to be is I've been writing an episode called, well, that I'm loosely calling like the best pep talk ever for your teen. And that will still happen. But as I was curating content and part of my content creation process is reading studies from, you know, all the different places and sources and some information came out and I thought it might be cool to just dedicate an episode to how we are finding success connecting with our teens, what the science says about our best efforts during different phases of adolescence to connect with them. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but teenagers are amazing and also unfortunately don't come with a guidebook. Weird. I really wish they did. That would be freaking sweet. So you're saying that this is really more for parents not for teens. It's this for, is for parents, parents about teens. Yeah. Okay. And part of it too is, so Weston, my oldest is 16 and you know, every milestone is like a double-edged sword because yay for milestone. Oh, they're one step closer to leaving the house. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I realized a few days ago, I was like, oh, he's almost 17 and 17 feels like we're starting to like wind, wind it down. Don't get me started. Oh, and there's, I just I don't, right? And you guys, yeah, you're, yeah, you're down yeah. to months, right? We both have a senior right now who's about to graduate and that's just, and I don't want to miss a thing. A I don't want him to leave our house and then be like, oh, I wish I had just a little more information. So I could have done a better job connecting. Like I'm feeling this urgency of like, our time is like our days are numbered. Absolutely. They are. They are. Numbered. Mm-hmm. Oh. They are. It comes really fast. I know what happened. Four years ago, he was like born. I know. I don't get Good it. Good thing you're getting his album made. So I am getting can... his album made. It is true. Topic for another day, but you know, there's something about reflecting on kind of the whole the whole story, you know, of mm-hmm. him, like you said, when he was born, and just kind of like, wow, he's been with me all these years. There's something to celebrate here. There's something to acknowledge, mm-hmm. and there is something really special about kind of doing that in a tangible format. Totally. Separate topic for another day, but related. <laughs> Which it will be a topic. Related. It really is related. <laughs> so one thing I wanted to start off with, and I tried so hard to source this. It's from a reputable source. I just can't put my finger on what it is. I probably learned it in a class, but um, they were talking about teens and connecting with teens. And the, and the instructor said, by the time your kids turn 15, essentially your parenting is over. And that made me oh, want to throw up because I was I like, no, get, no, 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 I have till 18. Really nauseous right but when now. you, when I think about it, like by the time your child is 15, and of course this is a generalization, like they are developing their own autonomy. Like mm-hmm. it's not like you're going to teach them something life altering. Like by the time 15 happens, like basically they're done learning from you, uh, okay. which I wish that wasn't 
the case. But then what but do that's I like do all my fact. teaching right now this year and start right, right now? <laughs> well, so then we look at, okay, well, what is our role? What right. is our role in their life as teenagers? And this, this topic of connection kind of came up again and again. So I was looking at a study in Wall Street Journal. And this actually breaks adolescence down into kind of like increments. And it gives you a little bit of a clue in on what's going on in the biology of the teen so that you can better understand what your role is during specific times or ways that you can help. Or also, to be honest, ways you can have like a little more grace for your teen because biology is happening. So I want to go through those first. Okay, so in the 11 to 12 bracket, so this is really preteens, right? But preteens really in this phase are in the throes of the puberties. The throes of the puberty, puberty. all the hair growing on the armpits, all the, all the voice, voice, the craziness. Like you, if you have experienced this magical time of development, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. And it said a really interesting fact is that kids can actually have a digression in certain skills during this puberty ridden, like out of control 11 to 12 age, which was great for me to hear. So what do you think that they can actually slip back on? Well, I mean, I have a child of that age. In that bracket. But I feel, yes, but I feel like my answer isn't relevant to what you're asking what the because study we've says. been in a COVID year. Mm. So a lot of what I... I actually think you're going to be very impressed with oh, this. Says. Okay. okay. So what it says is it can they can slip back in some skills, particularly decision-making, spatial reasoning, and organization. Huh. And it's because whatever part of their brain is still maturing and like overridden with, with the, we call it the puberties in our house, the hormones, Mm. that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. um, that part of their brain is still maturing. So this just tells us like when they are not doing as well at focused assigned tasks Mm -hmm. or organization, like you can have a little bit more grace for them, which I think if anyone knows an 11 or 12 year old, like. Yeah, that sounds about right. They have a little bit, little bit of trouble with that organization. And so as parents then, if that is kind of the biological challenge of that time of adolescence, what can we then do to have grace for them and understanding is not like hang our hat on their organizational ability. And then what can we do to help? One suggestion this article gave is giving them visual cues for assigned tasks. So like if you want them to remember their soccer bag, put it out a place that they can see it. Like helping them have some organizational structure um, is actually super helpful in the 11 to 12 that makes sense. I'll give myself a gold star. When we were starting to distance learn with um, Crew, who is my 11, 12, sorry, he's 12, my 12-year-old, I made, you guys can see it. Our listeners can't see it, but Mm -hmm. here in the corner of our home office, I put a list of, okay, since you're distance learning, and so we don't have a lot of the structure that you have when you attend school in person, here are the things that need to happen every day, and here are the things that need to happen in connection with your schoolwork and before your schoolwork and after your schoolwork, and, you know, because the structure and the organization of a typical school day is gone in this moment. We're going back, by the way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) But... But that's, you know, and so that, but that's a visual thing every day that he could look at, refer to almost like a, you know, a little chore chart that yeah. he used to have in the day. So it's just giving him that ver- their visual cue. So to remind him of what mm-hmm. the expectation is. Yeah. 
And that's actually really helpful. perfectly every single day. Mm-hmm. Okay, really? yeah, right. I think you're being sarcastic. <laughs> I'm sensing, yeah, I'm sensing a, ho- um, a yes, little I note was. of sarcasm in yes, there. Yes, I was a little sarcastic. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know, it's fine. It helps. So it's a guide. It I have an 11-year-old mm-hmm. um, who's, who's got some significant special needs. But um, for him, and I think actually it's applicable for all my kids at times, I make like a picture chart. Mm. Like when he's packing for something, I'll draw a shirt times four. I'll Mm. draw pants times four. And then he can go and do it on his own. And honestly, sometimes I feel like my 18-year-old needs that. Oh, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Uh I think I need that sometimes. (laughs) A text message to my 18-year-old is not sufficient. Somehow mm-hmm. that doesn't work. He needs a picture chart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to use that. Uh-huh. And that's okay. Rather than like, I think sometimes, I mean, maybe this is just me, but I think, okay, well, what should an 11 and 12 year old be like? And I ask myself that, what, what, what should they be like developmentally? And I feel like that is such a slippery slope, right? Because it's not about like what the generalization of 11 to 12 year olds need, but what your child needs. And With this study, I think just getting a little glimpse into the biology, like it makes me feel better now because sometimes with my 12-year-old, she is actually very organized and extremely responsible, but sometimes she forgets dumb things and I want to shake her and be like, dude, what in the world? Like focus, come on, let's... And it helps me to understand like what is happening is very normal and how I can help and so it doesn't become an area of power struggle. Absolutely. Have you guys experienced that magical power struggle? Oh, I don't know. With yes. the teenagers? Yes. <laughs> yes. But so also, on, on the note of what you're talking about, the biology of it, um, that is the biology of, of their progression developmentally has been actually a huge source of uh, comfort for me mm-hmm. in times when, you know, I look at them making decisions that I wouldn't necessarily choose for them. And I think, is this who they are now? Kind of like, kind of like the kid in the, the nursery who bit all the other kids. Mm-hmm. He was forever the biter, right? Mm. Except that he wasn't, right? He just bit one kid one time or two times or even right. 10 times. But that doesn't make him the rest of his life a biter. Right. right. When your kids make decisions you don't necessarily agree with, it doesn't make them that person for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And the source of... It was a huge source of comfort for me to have someone say, well, developmentally, this is what they're experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. So developmentally, this is actually pretty appropriate. Right. I agree. That is a source of comfort. Mm-hmm. I, I have found the same thing when I understand and remember that perspective. And my degrees in family science, like I learned a lot of this stuff that sometimes right. when you're in the thick of parenting, you forget. And then when you reflect back and you go, oh developmentally, it, it's actually very on par for mm-hmm. what their age group is, this stage of life. This is what they would probably be expected to be doing mm-hmm. or thinking about or uh, pursuing or not doing or slacking on or taking too far, like all those things that we think, well, how would they, how would they look at this differently than me? Because clearly, mm-hmm. clearly I know what's best for them. How do they not think of this the same way? Right. But when you... I agree. When you have that perspective and know that it's totally age, not age appropriate, what's the right term? Developmentally appropriate. Developmentally appropriate mm-hmm. or age expected. Yeah. Um, it does help you go, okay, so this is, again, like you said, my child's not the biter for life. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Like yeah. that's what Well, they're... it takes you from a place of like maybe over identifying some of these negative actions when we all think like, oh, if only my kid would take this knowledge that I have. But then I have to remind myself, like, how do I have this knowledge? 
uh, because I acted like a normal teenager Mm -hmm. and I was able to learn and progress and grow and decide. Right. Do you know what I mean? And you just can't negate that. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So when we look at the 13 to 14 year olds, this is basically when the, they board the emotional roller coaster of like Mm -hmm. all of the craziness. Mm -hmm. And if you have a 13 or 14 year old, (laughs) I do, you know what I'm talking about. She's a girl. Yes. Right. (laughs) And, and the thing that this said is biologically their response, teens response to stress during this time is like bonkers, bananas, haywire. Yes. Irrational. Okay. But that's biology, which again makes me feel better. And it says you might see an increase in like back talk or door slamming or any of these very characteristic Mm -hmm. uh, teenage caricature behaviors, I guess. What it also said, too, is the impact of social stress is peaking around this time, which I think is sometimes... Hopefully you have an open relationship where they can tell you about that stuff, but also sometimes those shaming social experiences are not ones teens want to open up about because they're embarrassing and they cause all these identity questions. But if you have a 13 to 14-year-old and they're acting in a much more heightened, agitated state, you may want to point to social stress. You may want to ask some leading questions there to find out what's going on with them socially. Another um, thing that this study cited was that it's really important as parents to 13 and 14 year olds to be stressing the importance of good relationships. And what they mean by good relationships is shared interest relationships. So where a lot of times in kind of the dichotomy of like a middle school, high school experience, you know, kids are focusing on like being popular or being well-liked it's saying to really, as parents, we need to really reinforce the messaging at home about healthy relationships and about what that is and less about the popularity. I like that a lot. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, because because I feel like at that age, especially with girls, mm-hmm. that's where you start seeing, you know, some girls are mean or some girls right. are, um, you some know, obsessed, girls are with, biters. obsessed <laughs> with themselves or, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And um, you start to see middle school behaviors that, Oh, middle yeah. school. That I, I, I middle school's a little hard. A flood of memories. Yeah, that I that I think I don't I don't want you to think that way. Yeah, but your friend does. Mm-hmm. So maybe we need to redirect. Well, I just think having that conversation, and and one of the things I've found to be very effective when I'm talking to my teens that are this age, or honestly, even with my 12 year old, I feel like for girls, some of these things start a little bit sooner than for boys socially. I mean, having those conversations of like, well, what is a good friend for you? Or when she's telling me about an experience rather than trying to fix it, saying, oh, you know, validating her. Oh, that must've been really hard. That must've been embarrassing. That must've felt really uncomfortable. Well, how, you know, how would you want to treat someone in that situation? And so I like having this, um, kind of direction to like really focusing on helping them socially. And then another thing that it said is that the family system, like the family structure is like a built-in stress buffer. And so what that tells me is if I have a teen who's acting out or struggling, like what I need to be focusing on is our family culture. And there was a study done in 2016 that was published in the Journal of Family Psychology that says teens whose families provide companionship, problem solving, and emotional support are less likely to become depressed after exposure to severe stress. 
So like this severe stress in the 13, 14 year old, well, the whole teenage realm is really unavoidable, but kind of our agent to counteract that is then the structure we've created within our home, kind of the safety that we've created within yeah, the relationship. Which makes sense because it's a place that they come home to yeah. that feels safe. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you're struggling in this area, your goal is to create like a house of refuge, a house of safety, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't think it hurts to say the words too. Like you hope that you're instilling that feeling in your kids. Mm-hmm. You hope that through your actions and through your attention and through your expressed love, right. that they feel safe, that they feel that refuge. But I don't think that they're, I don't think that there's a downside to you saying those words. Oh, Honey, totally. I know that I know it's brutal out there. I mm-hmm. know. And I think it's even harder for you than it was for me yeah. at your age. Please know that at home, like we want this to feel safe for you. We want this space to be a refuge. We want our family to be that place where you can just relax and be you and, and open up and tell us the things. I think that just expressing that once in a while and reminding them with your words is not such a bad thing. At least that's been my thought. Mm-hmm. Well, because I, think I hope that it's expected, right? I hope right. they understand and feel it. But but I don't think they do. I don't think they articulate it in that way. And so I think that putting words to it is really helpful for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. I love that. All right. Are you ready to move on to 15 to 16? Let's hear it. We are ready. This (laughs) section is titled risky business. Okay. Risky business. Um, so essentially teens at this age start, um, taking on risk, risky behavior. So Mm -hmm. taking unnecessarily unnecessary risks. And we've probably all can relate to that teen who is like putting on this front, like they're invincible, like I'm going to jump off a three story cliff and cliff dive with all the people. Cause that sounds like it could never hurt me, right? <laughs> and what's interesting is the biology in the brain at that time is actually suppressing the reaction that, well, a normal person would have from jumping off a cliff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, interesting, though, is there is an antidote for that like area of the brain that's a little bit underperforming during this risky behavior time Do tell. of 15 to 16, uh-huh. and it's having a safe and supportive relationship with your parents. Well. Interesting, Interesting, huh? yeah. So it was a, a study in, two, um, in 2015 that kind of brought this information to the forefront. It was published in Developmental Cognitive Neuroscience. And essentially what it says is they took a bunch of teens and um, at age 15, and the teens who grew closer to their parents during this time showed less activation of a region of the brain that is linked to risk-taking behavior. So isn't that interesting that the closer relationship you have to your parents at the age of 15 during kind of this time, the less likely you are to engage Mm. in risk-taking behaviors. It's Mm. almost like God knew what he was doing when he sent us here in families. It's almost almost as if. if. (laughs) And let me further define what closeness to parents means. okay? Okay, It says specifically closeness to parents included having parents respect um, having help talking them through problems and an absence, an absence rather of arguing and yelling. Mm-hmm. And I want to add to that, that, um, usually talking through their problems is in the middle of the night. Oh, we're going to get there. Yeah. It, it does. Generally the, the mouths of yep. teenagers are loosed between the hours of one to three in the morning. It's, it's mm-hmm. truth. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll get to that a little bit later. Okay. Let's get to the 17 to 18 range. Okay. Um, this is my words, not the study, but kids at this point are going from like a medium rare 
steak to like that beautiful medium that we all just love so much to devour. Okay. I guess I just love to devour medium steaks. Okay. But like they're almost fully cooked. Right. And bearing in mind that like past 15, they're not really learning anything from us anyways. They're really the only thing they're learning is whether or not we're safe. That's it. Right. Okay. So kids are going from medium rare to the medium. Um, this was a very interesting fact. I knew none of this. Okay. Do you know that during this 17 to 18 age, kids actually experience a rise in their IQ? No. Yeah. They like, uh, maybe that's why they think they're so smart. Maybe that is. Maybe they actually are so smart though. I think my IQ raised in that stage. Of right. Life. Like I, they act. So if your kid is, if your kid is like, 15 and 16 and you're like, you are going to <laughs> clearly live in my basement forever. Know that their IQ as they finish cooking <laughs> Um, actually can be Mm. raised. Okay. Mm. Um, teens at this stage are better at noticing how people feel like that self-awareness piece and awareness to people around you is starting to come into play. Thank goodness. Um, but they still have a lack in understanding people's motives and desires, so in co- like the complex social situation is still something that they are working through. Sure. So as parents, how do we support that is helping them like break down possible scenarios and motives within like these mm-hmm. complex social relationships. So essentially being the voice of reason to help present alternative narratives to them within these complex social structures. That makes sense. Okay. And so, um, at that point too, it says the advice is to support and reinforce their relationship strengths. So I have noticed you're such a good friend. I've noticed that you're constantly, you know, worrying about your friends. I think that's really cool that you're so, that you're very self-aware. So that would be the time where I feel like positive affirmations about their social strengths is a real positive to be like helping them, helping them figure it out during that I think that time. that's positive at every stage. Totally. It makes sense in the context of what you're talking about for that particular age group, mm-hmm. but it makes me think of, of every stage. Anytime I've done that, it has always felt like the right thing to do to like bring mm-hmm. out their characteristics and, and validate their positive attributes in social settings, in relationships, in life in general. Well, I, I think, think being that, specific, right? Yes, like we talk a lot about that. The more specific, the better. Yes. So now that we've kind of had that foundation of like biology and the studies of like what we can do, I wanted to talk through not like six tips, but like six areas of consideration, if you will. Okay. And we're going to start with like the val- the like vocalization of validating behaviors. Okay. So I actually saw this, I'm not sure where, so I'm sorry if this is yours, let me know and I'll give you full credit. But, mm-hmm. um, they were talking about having a very subtle shift in how we vocalize validation. So, um, instead of saying like, I'll pretend Heidi's my child and she does a service project at school, you know, I might say, Heidi, I'm so proud of you. Like, I've never thought there's something wrong with that, saying that as a parent. However, I will tell you as an individual, I am really triggered when people say that they're proud of me. Because? Because I perceive that somehow that is them taking ownership over the thing to be proud of. Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's like a weird thing I've had forever, but like those words about like, Oh, I'm so proud of you have never sat 
fully well with me. Oh, I've told you that okay. many times. I probably have to. I know. Well, I'm no, like, it's oh, okay. And, and here's the thing I mean, too. You, I will say me. this, <laughs> but if it's a very safe, loving relationship, like I probably wouldn't be triggered by you two saying mm. it, but someone I'm not as close with, if they said, I'm so proud of you, literally the thought in my head is, well, who, what gave you the right to feel pride about me? Oh, like, interesting. Yeah, do you get what I'm uh-huh. saying? And I've never been able to put my finger on it, but listen to this verbiage switch. So I'm so proud of you. Instead of saying that, saying to your child, you must be so proud of yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really good. That simple yeah. shift, because then it doesn't become about, I'm so proud of you, so your action is validating my need mm-hmm. for being mm-hmm. prideful over you. But like, it, it just takes it from like, your kids doing something to make you happy as were your kids making decisions to make themselves happy. I, I love that. Isn't that yeah. such an interesting yeah. little shift? And I yeah. thought that is what I'm going to say from now on. You must be so proud of yourself. Yeah. That is really cool because it puts it back on them and they're having that autonomous experience. Again, episode 66, like we talk about this all the time, but anytime you can give your kids, especially teens, like that shot in the arm for autonomy, like it is going to serve them better than you feeling happy or pleased Mm -hmm. with their actions. I love that. So switch the... It's the focus from you to them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so there's ways to do this with all kinds of compliments. So that's the first area of consideration. The second is, and this actually was a part of the course, um, the Live the Story You Want to Tell course, that we talked about in module four. And it essentially is... Stop thinking about characteristics as good or bad, right? And we take you through this exercise of if you, sh- if you look at any characteristic through the lens of love, right, it becomes something totally different. So, for instance, if Becky is shy, right, rather than saying to my child like, oh, man, you're shy. We should really work on that. We should really, really work on that. What if we look at inside of the shyness like what how does how does a shyness which you may be perceiving as a weakness actually be a strength Mm -hmm. and helping our kids to walk through this because I don't know about you guys but I'm seeing with my teens like they're very acutely aware of all the things they want to change about themselves Mm -hmm. right or and it could be to fit in it could be because of social um what am I social input like oh I need to change this I need to change this I need to change that but we need to really be really helping our kids understand that like there really isn't weakness and strength. There just is characteristics and what lens you're putting it through is going to determine how you feel about it. And here's where it becomes crucial. Some of these things are inherent to us. Like you can tell someone who's shy, like, let's work on this. Let's do that. But then the messaging is like your shyness is a problem. Right. Right. So instead let's look at like, man, you know, you are such a good listener because of how you are the natural disposition of how you are in friendships. Like you observe, and you're really self-aware and you're able to read situations really well. Exactly. And so do you see what I'm saying? Like oh, yeah. it takes like that weakness to a strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's important to notice those things in your kids that you can, it's through the lens that we're talking about. You can look through the lens of whatever they might perceive as a weakness or whatever we might perceive as um, problematic mm-hmm. actually can be a superpower. You know, it actually totally. can be something that is going to not only benefit them in the long run, but really be a blessing to other people around them. Like you, the example you just gave of someone who is shy and how actually being a good listener and self-aware and being observant can actually be super helpful mm-hmm. in relationships and in social settings and things like that. Totally. I've tried to switch the way I think about those things within my own kids. Mm -hmm. If I feel concerned about something, and I'll give you a quick example. Um, 
I used to feel concerned that my kids weren't, and all three of them actually, weren't focusing in on the one thing that was going to be like their thing, whether it be art, music, sports, whatever. Um, none of them seemed to be like really sticking with something. And then I had a total shift and, and really felt profoundly like, they are going to be well-rounded because they're having experience with a lot of different sports, a lot of different um, exposure to music, arts, things like that. And so what that they're not sticking with the one thing, they're not going to get a scholarship for the one thing. Like that's okay. Right. Like they don't, that's not what life has to be about. Right. Totally. And so I was able as a mom, even if I didn't articulate it, which I probably did, but even if I didn't say the words out loud, I had a shift in my own mm-hmm. head about you know, those things that I was once concerned about now look like superpowers to me. Right. And I think that the thoughts that we have about our children, as we've talked about many times, Becky, how powerful, Mm -hmm. how real those thoughts can be manifested, you know, just the way that we think about our kids. Well, because it affects the way we show up to them. That's Mm -hmm. true. And so if we're showing up in a way of, you know, I'm concerned about you, that's a totally different relationship than if we're showing up in a way of, of in the way of like, this is awesome mm-hmm. that you're going to be so well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an experience with one of my kids who was a pathological liar um, for quite some time. <laughs> I mean, also, if any of you parents out there are going through this lying phase, mm-hmm. like very developmentally appropriate. Is it? It 100% is. is like it? going through going through phases of like, Figuring out truth telling apps that that is very very normal. I would say like nine to yeah. eighteen. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great. No, but I would say like for a lot of kids. I mean, gosh, I'm not like a psychologist, but I would say like yeah, probably like eight to nine to. 13, 14 is Hmm. when it will rear its ugly little head. I just want people to understand, like if she's saying like pathological liar, kind of tongue in cheek, but like the whole lying, like this is a very common lying is like, yeah, it's very, it's very common and and normal by the way. Yeah. I didn't, my other, my, my oldest child, um, had not been a liar. So mm-hmm. this one was new for no me. No self-preservation right. with that one. Yeah, well, this one was new for me, and it was a whole different experience. Yes. And I remember um, it kind of came to reared its ugly head one time. There was an experience, and I remember talking with her and just saying, um, you know, this this can become a strength to you. I mean, I felt so inspired during that discussion that I had with her. I, I actually recited a scripture and about how our weaknesses, well weaknesses can become our strengths. Right. And now that child is much older. And she's amazing. Are you kidding me? She's one of like the most amazing, incredible, incredible human beings. And it goes back to what you were saying about not labeling your kid a biter, right? Like just because they're going through a phase of like testing and, and maybe failure, which by the way is the best tool ever. Like they're not forever going to be a biter. Right. Well, but also specifically to her, she's really honest and she has this ability to be really honest with her friends mm. when there's something that they need to talk about. She never was one to be that dealt with drama or like mm-hmm. you know, a si- the silent treatment or anything. It was just I see this as a point of discussion. Right. That I'm going to go approach this friend about. And it was such a, it's, it's such a healthy way of handling, you know, what could be perceived or what could turn into conflict. Um, so I love that idea of shifting that, you know, these, these things that we sometimes view as Mm -hmm. weaknesses 
all of our weaknesses can become our strength. And they are. And like I said, it really is what lens you're putting it through because if you put it through a place of love, you will find the goodness inside of that. And it takes it from, it takes us from thinking that our job is to fix our children and to like make them these stellar human beings and understanding and like really like giving the feeling and surrounding them with that energetic feeling mm-hmm. of like you already are amazing mm-hmm. and so let's help you live like live into that well I can tell you in my experience when I've done that and I've really filtered my thoughts about my kids through that lens and I think of them differently that way it has literally felt like a burden lifted from my shoulders yes. and I don't know I don't know why. I don't know if it's because, oh, I realized that's not my responsibility to change them. Mm -hmm. They are actually legitimately awesome exactly Mm -hmm. as they are. Mm -hmm. Like when I remember that instead of the fixing mom mentality, I've got to fix this. I've got to help them. I've got to guide them. I've got to, I think, I think that is a freeing, Mm -hmm. not I think, I know that that is a freeing thought and it's a freeing reality. And it allows you to show up as your best self. Mm-hmm. True. Which is which is ideally what we all want to be able to do. Absolutely. Because the alternative is it stresses you out. Your kids, who by the way are already getting the message from their social scenes and school and all these things about what they're not. Yeah. They're already very acutely aware and probably projecting on themselves. Mm-hmm. This is not a place for a parent to step in and and start naming weaknesses, right? Like True. the one thing we don't want our kids to think is that they are catastrophically flawed, right. that there's something inherently wrong with them and that they're not enough, right? Like that leads, that is the foundation of all kinds of risky behavior, right? And validation seeking behavior that none of us want our kids to go down that mm-hmm. very painful road. But how we do that, how we, I shouldn't say how we do that because it's not guaranteed, but like if we think our kids are things to be fixed, they are going to think there's something to be fixed. And so we need to get really clear and really practiced about the thoughts that we have mm-hmm. surrounding our kids. Okay, this next little thought or area of consideration came because I have this great friend, Amy, and our kids are really good friends. And she came up to me and she said, thank you for talking to him like he's a human being. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, no, you talk to him like he's a human being, not like an authority figure talking to a child. But like she was thanking me for talking to him like an equal almost, right? Mm. Like giving him the chance to understand and to share insight and thought. And so I think talking to our teens, not like they're children, but like by the age of 16, like you're down to months of when your kid leaves. So the world's going to be treating them like an adult. So we probably should be too. That's one of your gifts in this oh, life. Thanks. Honestly, like mm-hmm. my children love you. Oh, yeah. Every oh, one of them. Same. Yes. They mm-hmm. love you. They trust you. They feel comfortable. They always have. Well, I love them too. I also want to give a shout out to Amy. Heidi, you just did it too. I think we need to proactively tell our mom friends mm-hmm. where they do have those strengths with their own children or, or other children so that we can, we can, um, we can put more momentum mm-hmm. on, 
on those types of characteristics and behaviors because we also, teens are beat up by the world. We also are beat up. Mm-hmm. We, I'm not saying we're all victims here. What I'm saying is we, we're already hard enough on ourselves. And I think what's cool is you probably already know that about yourself, but the fact that Amy went out of her way to tell you mm-hmm. is remarkable. I think too, right along with this, treating, treating your teens like they're human beings is we can't go into every interaction expecting that we're going to be the one doing the teaching. And I think that that was a huge, such a good point, a huge yeah. shift for me is like, I think I had it in my head, like, oh my gosh, I have, you know, four years left or three years left or whatever. I have all this wisdom and insight I need to shove in them. Like they need to absorb it all. And during that time when I was so concerned with my contribution to their life, <laughs> which was totally self-indulgent, let's be honest, and maybe slightly narcissistic. It's all about um, us. <laughs> right? um, it, it didn't leave me open for like the amazing learning that I'm getting from my teens. You know, I'm learning so much about myself. I'm learning so much about them. I'm learning so much about life. And I think one of the greatest vulnerable acts you can do is allow someone to teach you, right? But it validates them. It validates the thoughts that they have. And so just even shifting how we think about that has really opened up, I think, some really good um, lines of communication. I love that. And I love the vulnerability of that and the way it can strengthen your connection with your teenager. Mm -hmm. When they know that you've been taught by them, when they know that you value them, them. value their feel loved and respected. And and Mm -hmm. not just that you value them, but they are valuable. Like Mm -hmm. they, the world needs them. The world needs their insight and wisdom and light and, um, and teaching. Like, I think that it just, I think it catapults them into mm-hmm. being an even better version of themselves because totally. they're like, oh yeah, I, mm-hmm. I actually, I am pretty smart. Well, let's remember in that study that we cited in that 15 to 16 range, one of like the antidotes for teen risky behavior is literally feeling like their parents respect them. Mm-hmm. Like if they feel like you respect them, they're going to inherently trust themselves more because they're going to feel worthy of being trusted and they're going to yeah. act into that trust. Totally. Um, Okay, so this next one, this next thought for your consideration is encouraging them to find their own answers. Oh, such a struggle for me. I want to tell them all the things. Because you have all the answers. I I like to think I have all the answers. (laughs) We have all the answers. But then I forget again, I have answers because I had to search. Mm. We cannot negate the searching. And by the way, like they're not going to listen to you anyways if you try to tell them all the answers. Like let's stop pretending that that's going to work. Right. Well, and the beauty of that is that then they take the ownership of the of the the yes. consequence, whether positive or negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it, empowering. It's very empowering. Yeah. And I think it gives them, it catapults them into... Um, I think it puts them in a better place for growing up and becoming an adult. Well, because then they are already practiced in finding their own answers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think if you don't have that inherent ability to understand how to get answers spiritually, emotionally, physically, any of the ways, it almost leaves you open to abuse as well and like manipulation because if you're always taking someone's word for it or listening to someone else, it really does leave you in a position where you could be manipulated, right? And I want my kids to have an understanding that what they don't know doesn't mean they're stupid. It just means they need to go find the answer and understand how to go find answers. Mm -hmm. But in order to learn that, they have to actually go find their own answers, which is really difficult for me. Right. Of course. Really difficult for me. 
especially because you have all the answers. Well, I think I do, but I'm sure I don't. <laughs> yes. No, but it's encouraging. It goes back to validating them in their efforts. If you know, if they know that you trust them mm-hmm. to figure some things out, knowing that, of course, you're a safe place that will offer guidance if they want it. Mm-hmm. If they're asking for it, you can help support and whatever, but really encouraging them, like giving them that confidence. I am so confident that you can figure this out for yourself. And also, you know, I've got your back and I'm here to support you. Mm-hmm. What, what kid doesn't grow and benefit from feeling so and so trusted by their parents? Well, it's empowering. Like it's, it's feeling empowered mm-hmm. to do whatever and to be able to find answers. And I feel like that's literally our job as moms is to like pass them the baton just like a little piece at a time mm-hmm. so that eventually it's when it's time for them to go that they have a grasp on how to go and how to... You know, if they, if they don't have a safe place to fall when they're young, when they're older, they make harder decisions and mm-hmm. bigger decisions. And the world isn't as safe as a, pl- a place to fall as our, as our home is. Right. And, um, you know, that's easy to say and it's easy to hear. It's harder to implement. You know, it's harder to experience it when, when you feel like they're falling and, and I have to, it's happened to me and I've reminded myself this is what I want though this is the safest place for this to happen mm-hmm. um, so you know I'm grateful for that perspective and I think during those times when your kids do fall because they all do that's the only way to develop is to fall and to fail and to move on and um, making sure that you have already talked through your in your head like let's just you know I'm just going to say it, but like your child comes to you and they're pregnant. Like, what are you going to say? Like, how are you going to react to that? And you want to think like, what is my response to that going to be? Mm -hmm. My child comes and lets me know he snuck out or has, you know, is doing drugs or is drinking or calls me drunk one night from a party to get picked up. Like how Mm -hmm. do you as a parent want to respond? Like talking yourself through how you respond so that when and if that happens, you've already practiced how you want to show up to maintain the relationship as where like, hello, that would be a really scary thing for a parent to hear. And you can go into that reaction mode, which will most likely be damaging. But these are big moments when your kids come to you with these kinds of problems. Like you really have to have it dialed in and how you want to respond because they're opportunities as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and something that you said to me years ago that has been so profound was that, um, you know, in our church, we have certain beliefs about, you know, obedience and all the things. And so something that outside of our church would not be a big deal mm-hmm. can seem like a really big deal to us because of whatever standard, you know, our standards, mm-hmm. cultural standard or religious yes. standard or whatever and most it of it's is. cultural, mm-hmm. but, um, such a source of comfort and also perspective, you know, when something like something happens that is not typically, um, seen as, as acceptable, it doesn't make them that thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the reminder that, you know, this is a probably developmentally appropriate mm-hmm. and B, um, in the real world, it's not considered a big deal. Right. So we can work with this. Yeah. You know, and that it's not catastrophic is what you're right. saying, which I think, yes. I think, you know, when my parents were raising kids, not that my parents, I, my parents actually handled 
this type of stuff really well. But I remember feeling like if somebody came home from their mission, like, oh my gosh, Mm-hmm. You know, like we were all, we were all wondering why. And you mean like, know. um, if someone came home premature to yes, the yeah. extent that yes. they were going to go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or, you know, if you heard that some kid in high school was, you know, doing drugs or whatever, mm-hmm. that was such a big deal. But as a parent, um, I have a lot more grace for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's in large part because of that perspective that you gave me. And honestly, it's allowed me to like love, you know, my teenagers have a lot of friends. It's allowed me to love them. My teenagers, it's allowed me to love their friends Mm -hmm. through any of those experiences. Mm -hmm. Like I almost love them more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the truth is, is really very little that happens in the realm of developmentally appropriate. And when I say developmentally appropriate, I'm not even saying in my value system that that behavior is accepted or not accepted. I'm just saying what is developmentally appropriate is almost never catastrophic. Although to us parents, oftentimes it can feel that way. It can feel catastrophic, but that is when our fear kicks in. Mm -hmm. Our fear kicks in about what it means about us, Mm -hmm. what it means about them, them being labeled for the rest of their life. And oh my gosh, I put all this effort in and now I've raised a drug addict or whatever the situation is. None of that is true. Number one. And number two, for sure, none of that is helpful. Not for you, not for your child, not for your relationship, not for forward momentum. And so understanding that things that might feel catastrophic might not be catastrophic, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. it's not like all hope is lost. And mm-hmm. and I love that thing about the biter and the nursery, right? Like it's okay. Like right. you can still be a safe place and you can help them as they kind of figure it out. Because as much as we would like to think that our kids will take our word for it and never try and test anything, like those kinds of failures are the absolute best teachers, Right. In the world. Well, and, you know, as much as we want to protect our children and teach them, guide them, protect them from the, you know, the, the harms and the hurts that can come in the mm-hmm. world. At the end of the day, I, at least this is, this is where my faith comes in. I know it does for you as well. Um, or the two of you sitting here is that these experiences that they have and mm-hmm. these falls or these fails or whatever we want, however we want to look at them are, are actually really essential for mm-hmm. their growth, for their progression. And so as much as we want to protect them from having these hard experiences, when they do happen, that's a shift in my perspective also that's been very helpful to me and has served me very well is to remember that that is part of the human mortal experience. We need to have these opportunities for growth. Otherwise Mm -hmm. we don't turn out to be all that great, Mm -hmm. right? If you don't have experiences that teach you, then are you learning? And then are you evolving? Because if not, you're not going to get really far, right? Totally. And so you need those experiences. Well, and I think particularly, um, to round out this section, encouraging them to find their own answers. I think particularly having to do with their relationship with God. Um, one thing that was very impactful that I learned from Marilee Boyack, who was a guest on the podcast about a year, year or so ago, um, is she said, if you tie, like sometimes in our homes and in our religious tradition, like we tie, like the rules of our home are very similar to like the rules or the, or the commandments we feel. Right. And she said, Here's the thing. If you so closely tie obedience to God with obedience to you, if that in your kid's mind is one in the same, that when 
they get to these teenage years and they start to pull away, which is exactly what we want. Like that is what, that is the healthy developmental track, right? Of kids growing up and flying the nest. And so as they kind of start to cut these strings little by little, um, if you've tied that obedience to God with obedience to you, they're going to naturally separate from that notion of obeying God because it was maybe more about obeying you than it ever was about obeying God. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about like religious value systems, we need to be really careful. Um, and that doesn't mean you can't have boundaries. You can't, obviously those things are all great, but also encouraging them to find their own answers. To me, one of the most profound ways we can do that is understanding um, that they have choice within their relationship with God and kind of honoring that mm-hmm. and honoring their decisions and honoring um honoring the path that they take to know God or not know God, honestly, and giving them the space to do that from a not fear-based place, I Mm -hmm. think is really, really, really crucial because they have to go through that discovery process for themselves or what's going to happen is you have like a teenager who's like towed the line or done the right things and then ends up getting to adulthood, not really understanding how they feel about a lot of things. And Beck, I'm going to go ahead and we'll link to the, um, in the show notes, we'll link to that episode that's about agency mm. with it's called, I think it's called kids and agency. Yeah. But we'll put the link in the show notes with Mary Lee Boyack. So, so good. good. Okay. So good. Leading me to my next point, which is stop doing for them what they can do for themselves. Yeah. It's not cute. It's not loving. It's not mama bear taking care of her cubs. It is disabling your children. Like 100%, it is sending them a message that they are not capable of doing what you are doing for them. Was my laugh nervous Stop it. enough? Stop it. <laughs> Am I maybe still doing something that my children can do for themselves? Maybe just like, Aren't we all, for heaven's sake? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was speaking to a friend um, yesterday, and she was taught, we were sharing stories about college. And I distinctly remember going to the dorms at college and I was shocked at how many people had zero idea how to do laundry, mm-hmm. like who ruined expensive clothing because they literally oh. didn't know where the soap went or sure. how to do a load of laundry or how to separate or, you know, just those basic life skills like dudes, we need to do better. Do you know why? Because when they can do things for themselves, do you know what that builds? Go ahead. Hey, um, me in the front? Yes. <laughs> Confidence. You. Self-esteem. Self-esteem. Right? Small attainable goals over a long period of <laughs> Feeling time. Feeling empowered. Right. That is, that is the like the DNA of self-esteem is like teach them to do and then let them do. Yeah. That's yeah. how it happens. Yeah. I'm so good at some if you're, things and if not your kids are, things. Your kids yeah. are 18 and you're still doing their laundry. <laughs> I'm not doing his laundry. Maybe pull <laughs> back. My kids are fully doing their own laundry. I know this is about your, me, but can I, your kid? And here's the thing: yeah. there's a difference. My kids all know how to do laundry, even my eight year old. Yeah. Do I wash their laundry? Yes, obviously they're at school. Like I'm not saying abandon everything, but make sure they know how to do it. Make sure your kid knows how to scramble an egg, and like cook ramen for heaven's sakes, <laughs> right? Like or pop popcorn. But like popcorn. <laughs> there you go. But you know what I'm saying? They need to be able to do these basic life skills because if they can, they're going to feel confident. Changing a tire, knowing how to change oil right? Like just knowing how to do some of these things makes them feel good. Mm -hmm. When your kids have chores, guess what happens? They feel good. They might complain every day, but then I have had my kids come back to me and say, and we have had a very established chore chart for a very long time. Um, 
come back and say, do you know my friend doesn't even know how to do that? How crazy is that? Like they feel so good about the things that they know how to do. So stop doing things for your kids that they can do for themselves. I'm curious to know, giggle pants over there. <laughs> what is it that you? Giggling? What is it that you think your kids need to do on their own that maybe you're doing for them? Everything food related. I was literally going to say the. You food. You know this is a weak spot. Hundred percent. You know it's a weak spot for me in my life, in my personal life, and you know it's a weak spot. And yeah, well maybe you didn't know, but I have my my boys are distance learning, and I'm home. I'm home. And so I feel like I'm the mom who's at home because I have flexibility. I can work at home. So I'm the one certainly who, who should be feeding them who, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that is that, that is a weak spot that I need to be working on that when they are capable of fixing their own lunch, for example, well, it doesn't mean you can't dinner like, is different. I'm talking about like, but it doesn't mean you can't here and there. Like she has a great tradition with grilled cheese, right? It yeah. doesn't mean you can't do your but grilled cheese But I like making them breakfast, right? Hey. Like there's little things like that, but there's certain, there are certain times where I, it stresses me out because I have so much going on. And then I say, I am actually really like the one with a, a massive amount of things to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. why on earth are they not making me lunch? Amen. Right? But that's on me. That's, that's, so here's I'm your challenge very for empowered you. So here's what you're going to do. By the challenge that Becky's about to give me. You're going to, you're <laughs> going to be busy. You're going to let your kids see you be busy. And you're going to say to Porter, because the crew might be a little too young for this still. You're going to get oh, pop. If you ask crew, you're getting popcorn and you're getting popcorn and fruity pebbles. So if that's <laughs> what you want to eat that day. But what you say to Porter is, hey, Porter, if you wouldn't mind when you make yourself lunch, would you go ahead and just make me whatever you're making? It's fine. I'm just, I'm really swamped at work. <laughs> minutes later he's back from um what's the orange chicken place panda Um, express panda express yes (laughs) you'll get like a premier protein shake and an orange chicken thrown in your face for real anyway okay i've got my challenge i've got it i'm gonna work on it yes the last thing and this is kind of i think one of the most important things it's been a game changer for me again i learned this mm, years ago in a class at education week which i've brought up before I'm just a week of all kinds of great classes. I was in another teen communication class because obviously I love it. And he said, let your kids talk. Even if it's 2 a.m., let them talk. And Heidi and I talk about this all Mm -hmm. the time because you will lose sleep. And for some reason, your child comes home at 1130, 1230. They're in your room. You're ready for bed. You stayed up late to even like make sure they got home all right. Mm -hmm. And they just want to spill the guts, spill all the guts. They do. You're right. What it's is like it a- their tongues are loosed after midnight and I am here for all of it. And my husband goes to bed most of the time. And, um, he's like, why did you come to, what time did you come to bed? Why'd you come to bed at two 30 in the morning? And I'm like, you missed out honey mm-hmm. on all of it. You missed out on everything. Like mm-hmm. relationships are forged. Like trust is created. Like mm-hmm. all the things happen from 12 to two. So just be tired. But what he, essentially what he said, he said, whenever they want to talk, that is your number one job. Yep. Because again, they're done learning from you. All they can learn from you is hey, when I go to mom, is she there? Yeah. When I go to mom, is she safe? Yep. Is she available? And you want to be that safe place. Because guess what? If you're not, someone else will be, and you're going to miss out. Right. And I don't want my children going to talk to other adults when I'm right there, but I have to show them I'm right there. So my need for sleep at that time comes secondary to the higher need, which is maintaining that connection. I have two thoughts to share. Okay. I do want my children to go to other adults. 
what do I mean by that? I will send them to Heidi or Becky any day. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I no, here's my point though. Here's what I, here's what I actually mean. I know you know what I mean is I want to be their number one always and forever. I want them to know that I am a safe place and I'm a place where they can find comfort and, and help and support and love and all of those things. But anytime I know that my child has connected with another trusted yes. keyword, trusted, trusted is very key. adult, like one of my dear friends, someone that I look up to admire, love, appreciate all, all the things. When I know that that's happened and Becky knows this, mm-hmm. but like for me, it is such, it is such a, it's what we're here to do. We're here to right. help each other. We're each other's village in every way. And so that is profound to me. The second thing I wanted to say is that for those who might be listening to Becky and Heidi connect about the 12 to 2 and the tongues are loose, that's not my experience. My experience is not that that's when they open up and talk and say all the things. It's actually not at all in the middle of the night. But for me, there is non verbal communication that happens late at night. And in my family, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of back scratching, Mm. right? So we'll Mm. snuggle up and, or, you know, Porter, for example, might watch a game. He's not snuggling up like actually, but he wants me to scratch his back while he's just catching up on texts or watching a game. And to me, that type of presence and that type of connection is also really important. Mm -hmm. I wish that my kids were like loose tongues after midnight, like talking my ears off about all the things, but because it's not, I will find every opportunity any time of day. And also in other ways that are less talking, maybe more nonverbal communication or connection. Mm -hmm. I'll take it. I'll take any Mm -hmm. of it. Like you said, Heidi, I love how you put that. I'm here for it. I'm here for all of it. Seriously. Like I will take what I can get. And I, I just don't want anyone to feel like if their kids aren't opening up and communicating mm-hmm. that they're alone, you're not. Yeah. It doesn't happen like well, that Well, and maybe for like, maybe there still is a disconnect. And so for anyone out there, one of the best tricks up my parenting sleeve is if I can tell one of my kids has something to talk about and they haven't come to me and, um, we will go on a little road trip mm-hmm. and they will be in the car with the mama where they can't get away from they you. can't get away and I let them pick all the music and then eventually mm-hmm. but sometimes it takes time or especially now we're in a habit of it and my children have pretty much learned that I am very in tune with them and so if there's something going on I just inherently know that so now they just know that there's really no escaping the yep the the grasp of my love yep <laughs> <laughs> the suffocating grasp of my love and so they bring it to me thank goodness but thank goodness. um yeah road trips are great in any way i know for some of your kids that touch love language is huge mm-hmm. and so that's something just that you're boys. available for yep Yep. And your kids are all going to be different from one another and make sure that you are really not trying to blanket parent. Right. Like if you have multiple uh, yeah. children, what's mm-hmm. going to work for one doesn't necessarily mean that's the way you parent all of them. Right. Yeah. I mean, so we've, true. we've learned the different love languages and characteristics and we have to personalize that the yes. way that we love them. For sure. I want to go back to you mentioning the village. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time a couple of years ago where my oldest son was at Becky's house, Becky Proudfoot's house. And, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, they, like my kids call her aunt Becky Mm -hmm. and we're um, all parenting each other's children. It's the greatest (laughs) thing ever. I'm telling you. And it was like from that period in my life was, um, like it had been like 10 years of incredibly hard and stressful, um, like life altering experiences and I was a shell of a human being at the time. 
And I was not showing up as my best self. And William was complaining about me to Becky. Mm -hmm. And she schooled him. Nice. She sure did. Came home with a whole new perspective. I mean, she was like, Do you have any idea what your mother has been through? You know, do you have any wow. idea? Well, and I can say that to him because he knows, like, I would egg anyone's house who gave him a sideways glance. Like, he knows the love is there. So yeah. I can say to him, like, Kate, we need to stop and. You changed his life that day. Well, well and mine, because no, honestly. No, I mean, really, though, you completely shifted his perspective, uh-huh. which changed your life because he had a whole new lens on mom. Because as a child, they had, ex- that's literally, that, this stuff went on for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So it was their whole lives. You know, even though he was like 16 at the time, it was his whole life that his dad was sick and then that his, his brother, you know, was really hard. And um, he didn't articulate, you know, give your mom a break. Yeah. She's doing the best she can. And that honestly... I was so grateful for that because I couldn't have said that to him and had sure. him yeah, had it react valid, well, you know, cause I'm the mom. I'm, I'm the one he was annoyed with at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like a, it was a turning point for, um, for really kind of for our relationship, my relationship with him. And he saw me differently and he's much more aware. It's been really neat to see mm. how he's become much more aware of like, you know what? I'm going to take the youngest child on a mm. on a walk. I'm yeah. going to take him to the park. I think I can see that mom needs some help right now. Right. Um, I love and that. that's because of people in my village mm-hmm. that that helped him see things for the the way they were. Mm. Absolutely. Isn't it great? You know, we I've said it once. I'll shut it from the rooftops forever. But when I tell my child, my children know that they are loved. My children know that they are safe because I've worked really hard to create that within my home, but it still doesn't make as big of an impact as when you guys take my kids aside and say the same thing. It's true. It's so valuable. And, and there's a, you know, a talk that was given at church and essentially they gave each of us the charge to be the aunties and uncles for everyone else's children. And if we can all view ourselves as aunts and uncles for everyone else's kids, how will that change how we love them, right. how we act, how we show up, how we compliment, how we build them up? Like they need more than us. So why not be part of like that circle of empowerment to help these kids, you know, become the best versions of themselves and be secure because with all the crap beating them down all around, like the world is a hard place. We need to be fighting as equally hard mm-hmm. to like be doing our part to build them up. Absolutely. Okay. I wanted to end with some book recommendations. Okay. Okay. One, you know, I mentioned this in a previous episode, but this year I decided, um, I am, we, I don't pay my kids for chores. That's a decision we've made in our house. My kids don't get allowance of any kind, any money they get, they have to earn. But I provide them opportunities to earn money. One of the ways that they can earn money this year is by reading books and bringing me back like the takeaways because, man, there's so many great voices and minds out there. Um, And so I kind of compiled some of my favorite kind of teen books. And this is on the list of what my kids are getting paid to read this year. Awesome. Okay. So the first one is... The Seven Habits of Highly Effective mm-hmm. Teens. So yep. we talk about The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. There's also a teen version of this, mm-hmm. also by Stephen R. Covey. Incredible book, and it will give kids the seven kind of characteristics of the kind of teens that they all want to be, and it gives them a framework. 
Great, great book. Okay. The next one we've talked about a lot, which is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And what it does is it, sometimes we get in this mentality of all the things about ourselves that need to be fixed or bad habits we want to stop. And James Clear has taken all the scientific research and personal experience he has had and breaks it down and helps teens to understand that the best way to end a bad habit is to replace it with a new good habit. Kate, James Clear is amazing. So that's Atomic Habits. The third book is called The Four Agreements by Miguel Ruiz. Um, This is actually a book kind of rooted in Native American um, theology, and it talks about the different facets of our being of our personality. It's actually, I bought, I bought that book for Claire, Mm -hmm. um, last year. It's a very easy read, but it really just kind of breaks down in a, I will say like a spiritual way, but not like a religiously specific spiritual, just general spirit, um, kind of book. It's amazing. If you're an adult and you haven't read the four, read the four agreements, highly recommend. Okay. The next book is called You don't have to learn everything the hard way, what I wish someone had told me. Hmm. And the author's name is Leia Saul. And what I love is on her, um, like on her little inscription, she says by Aunt Leia Saul. I love that. And so that kind of gives you the tone of the book. Mm -hmm. I love the title. And so it literally is just this book of like these golden nuggets to help kids um, navigate this very, very complicated world that yeah. they're growing up in. So Without that's a great having one. to learn the hard way. Okay, this next book, very, very good. It's called Do Hard Things, A Teenage Rebellion Against Low Expectations. Hmm. Because I think sometimes in our society, we have a chronic condition of underestimating teenagers, which is then causing them to have low expectations for themselves and on and on and on. So having high expectations um, and giving them kind of that grit. We talk about like kind of lack of work ethic and lack of grit that's becoming more and more a problem, um, which then pours into how they feel about themselves and self-esteem and all that. So Do Hard Things is a great book. It's by Alex and Brett Harris. Um, They map out five concrete ways that teens can actually act to bring about personal change and social change. Cool. Okay, the last book... I wonder if you've read this one back. It's called The Six Most Important Decisions You'll Ever Make. Why does that sound so familiar? So it's by Sean Covey. I don't know if I've actually read it. Um, and it's a guide for teens. So cool. it just basically showcases how to make good choices, like the oh. anatomy of good choices. And it's go- he highlights six areas that are like crucial hinge points in hmm. life for your six decisions. So those are some ideas of books for, you know, you to read as a parent. I think it's really cool when you and your child are reading independently together. Um, some of these books that will give you some great insight and, and good sources to point your kids to in the self-development realm. I'm very much going to take on the thought of paying my kids to read books Mm -hmm. because I think that's what it would take right now in school during school summer might be different but during school when they've already got you know a lot of reading going on anyway i i'm inspired by the list i think that's really cool and i appreciate you curating it oh yeah that's super cool yeah they all sound really good and Mm -hmm. one thing we do is certain you know understanding that certain kids are visual learners certain kids are audio based learners certain kids are tactile learners like figuring out so for one of my kids my oldest weston He's an avid reader. Like he reads and writes like no child I've ever seen in my life. 
but he never almost shouldn't say never almost never has a physical book. Like he listens to audible and he goes on, you know, a 20 mile bike ride listening to books. So honor whatever way. And if, you know, listening on Alexa or audible is the way to get this information into them. Have right. at it. Right. Have mm-hmm. the heck yeah, at however, it. However, the goal is always the same. How you get there can look different. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, to round out this episode, I just wanted to end with, again, our goal with our teens, first and foremost, is they need to understand that you're a safe place, that you're a trusted place, and that they are loved, that they are safely loved and adored in your presence and in your home. And you have to create that boundary of safety because guess what? That literally is the only thing we can teach them in teenage teenagehood mm-hmm. is whether or not we are safe, whether or not they are safe and how they feel about themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's really where we need to spend our focus, which is great news because amongst all the reading and all the tips and all the things, that's easy. Well, we have control. We have control. To some degree over <laughs> what we put out for them. Exactly. Right. And how, yeah. how we show up. And what I love about that is it's not about showing up with like, well, this study and that study and I'm armed with this and I'm armed with that. It literally is just showing up knowing that you need to be safe. Mm-hmm. We can all do that. Yeah. We mm-hmm. can all show up safely yeah. and lovingly. Yeah. Lovingly is the key. We can love yeah. our kids, especially through the lens of everything that we've been talking about and that you've been sharing back is just that lens of, um, believing in them mm-hmm. and really, um, showing them how much you believe in them through your actions and your words. Hopefully yes. both. Yeah. Hopefully. Because they really do. Like you said, they do sense both. Mm-hmm. And when you trust your child, whether or not they deserve it, inherently they will begin to trust themselves. And yeah. that doesn't mean that they're always going to make right choices, but it means that in the end they are going to know how to make right choices. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's really, I've decided that it's pretty hard to be a teenager. Oh, there's like, especially if you're a boy, I mean, your brain is half developed literally. Mm-hmm. at 16 and then you have all these and and well girls too let's be honest I mean not the brain thing but there's all these external pressures and so right it's ever more important for them to have a safe place mm-hmm. to go mm-hmm. and to fall yep yep it's brutal out there but it doesn't have to be in at home mm-hmm. and that's the beauty of it and I feel um really empowered by the conversation and everything that you've shared. I love that you consider that they are called considerations because Mm -hmm. I think that's the key here is that we should take into consideration these different ideas and thoughts and, and see how they shape up in our own parenting and in the way that we show up in our family as parents. So thank you for preparing that. And thank you, Heidi, for being here and yeah, for thanks for having me. Providing all the useful. This. See, I get Heidi in real life when I have these moments that I can call and be like, Hides, talk me off the ledge. <laughs> Serious. Because I've got a serious narrative in my child head, mm-hmm. you know, narrative in my head about one of my children, and Heidi sets me straight every time. I love it. That's again the village. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's oh, what we're here so to important. do. Yeah. It is so important. And you guys are part of our village as well. You are dear listeners. Thank you for being here. We sure appreciate you carving out the time to listen. And thank you for joining us in this continued conversation about cultivating a good life. Nothing we have said is more important than the specific things you have felt that are personal for you. We invite you to write down those promptings and most importantly, act on them. We love you. We're cheering you on and we look forward to being with you next week. Bye-bye. Bye guys. Bye.